Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Wind Against Tide. It's a massive week this week. We've got a long weekend coming up. Everyone is keen to hit the water. And we've got a very special guest on tonight, a man by the name of Peter Pakula of Pakula Lures fame. So he's going to be able to answer any of your lure trolling and probably fishing in general questions and get you out catching as many fish as possible this weekend. What do you think about that, Joey? That's pretty exciting, isn't it? Dave, I'm excited. The, the man, the legend himself, Peter Pakula, his lures are just about everywhere in Australia and uh, some, some of the things that he's got on offer is um, a very uh, a big favourite in most of our tackle boxes. I'm looking forward to getting stuck into uh, that and seeing what it's all about. Absolutely, Joe. A stalwart of the fishing industry, I've personally used his products for a very long time. I rate him very highly, as do a lot of other people. And I know he's got some great tales to tell, so we will get along to him very shortly. But first of all, we had to say to Peter, whoa, 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 we can't get you on right away because we've got a tale to tell from our last fishing trip, don't we, Joey? Absolutely. (laughs) Dave and I decided to go freshwater fishing last week. My arm had to be really twisted very, very hard. Um, There was a plan that was hatched that we were going to head to the far um, west coast and that we were going to uh, use some saltwater bait to catch some freshwater fish. When Dave told me this, I thought, well, that sounds kind of interesting. Well, apparently it's a thing, Joey. So we went down to the Crater Lakes. We featured them on the podcast a few times recently in the hookup segment of um, guys like Dave Jurisic and Mal Fullis went down there and uh, nailed some really good Chinook salmon and some trout. And we thought, you know what, Joey, we can't keep going tuna fishing all the time. Let's do something different. That sounds like fun. All right, so is it, is it Chinook or Chinook? Because when I went into uh, – we went into WH Parker along the way uh, in Colac in the tackle shop, I, I said to Steve, the owner there, I said, want to catch some Chinook salmon. Uh, he, well, he looked at me like I was talking Chinese. <laughs> like I was talking Chinese. <laughs> I still don't know exactly how you're supposed to say it, Joey, but I think it was like Schnook. <laughs> schnook, Chinook, Chinook. Bugger if I know, but – yeah, it was, it was such a buzz to uh, catch them. They were, they were such good fish. Joe, the most exciting thing about this trip for me was I finally had a ride in the SS Joey Mobile. Yeah, the- they've been giving me shit for quite some time that hadn't had the, um, the 4.2 metre Quintrex Dory with its uh, beautiful repower. It's got a lovely four-stroke engine on it. And um, it was just such a pretty little lake, uh, Lake Parambit. So for, for those of you who don't know about Lake Parambit, it's, um, it's just it, about 15 minutes outside of Colac on the far west uh, Victorian coast. And it's an ex-volcano and uh, there's clear water there, but it, it goes down to about 60 metres and it's about 5.5 uh, kilometres in radius. And it was just this beautiful, peaceful lake and... My God, the last time I went to Lake Parambit, I was eight years old and went there with my dad and my uncle and we camped there and fished there in his, um, in his Swift Craft half cabin for two days and we only caught two redfin for the day. So that was for, for the trip. So it was really quite average fishing. But um, yeah, my experience of Lake Parambit was completely different this time. It was just full of life and um, yeah, we just had such a ball, Dave. Yeah, I mean, we were obviously helped 
by the help of uh, Wind Against Tiders, who always come to you in your time of need, don't they, Joey? With a few tips and areas. Yeah, they did. We had some. Uh, we had some great uh, get um, advice uh, along the way. We, we were do- we were calling a few friends on the way up. But basically, the technique was you go anchor in a particular area. You you basically use your depth sounder to sound fish up, much like Port Phillip Bay fishing, for for snapper that is. And as soon as we stopped, we were marking tons of fish. We put Joey's down scan on on his Lawrence, and that was pretty cool. We could see that. How, how good was that down scan? That was um, that blew me away. I hadn't. You know, my boat's usually in the salt water, but we had the Lawrence Elite 9 and we had that into downscan mode and it painted a lovely picture for us. Well, what happened was we anchored up in this particular spot, about 25 metres, anchored the boat and basically burlied up an absolute storm using pilchards and pellets. And, um, you know, if there was any sharks within a 100k radius, I think sharks from the, Am the I allowed southern to ocean. Say the other thing that we used? Uh, we we had some very delicious burley going in the water. Care of Joseph forgetting to uh, eat it quick enough. Yes. Okay. <laughs> are, are you going to point out what it is? You may as well. Yeah. Well, you know, I Dave mentioned, or well, our friends had mentioned before we went to Parambit that you'd be wanting to burley up the area and actually bringing the Chinook salmon um, to you. And yeah, I just. Look, we were advised to use pilchards for bait. Unweighted pilchards on little 2-0 hooks, unweighted, weighted, and, and that was that was the go. That's what we had to do. But um, in terms of burley, I actually had some uh, one-year-old leftover scraps of uh, bluefin tuna. So yeah, we, we hucked them out of the freezer. And um, when we went to go and hook up the boat at my dad's place, he had a lovely 20-kilo bag of chook pellets in the in the shed so we topped up on some chook pellets and some uh and, and bluefin and that, that was our burley and my goodness dave was absolutely burling up a storm <laughs> right there's probably still fish there now a week later eating the remnants of what we left there but um yeah the technique was basically like cubing for tuna just sending hunks of of uh pilchard down the burley trail and you could see the fish on the sounder and the line would go tight and you'd be on so we caught majority uh, small Chinook salmon, as you can see Joey with a bit of an example here on the screen. Small Chinook salmon, we know there's giant ones in there and guys have been catching big ones, but we seem to get this smaller size class. Amongst them were these rainbow trout like this. And uh, right towards the end of the day, after we'd had our fill of, of chin dogs, as we now call them, Joey, <laughs> uh, and and smaller fish, we decided we were going to go for a bit of a oh, cast. Look at that. Look, I was blown away at that one, Davey. Like... Can, I, I had never personally heard myself of something called a tiger trout. And on the screen right now, it's a tiger trout and it's literally, uh, it's got a trout face and trout eyes, but it's got this beautiful tiger uh, pattern across it. And um, yeah, look, that one was kept for the pan because it, it was actually gut hooked. But my gosh, tasty little bastard it was. They were all pretty delicious. We felt really bad at the time because we kept gut hooking them, but turns out they were all delicious and we should have kept more. Um, <laughs> it is a put and take fishery, of course. It's stocked using wreck fishing money, so why not, I say. And I tell you what, Dave, I was absolutely blown away. Um, like it's been about 20, oh, almost 30 years since I've been to Lake Parambit and the the facilities there was absolutely beautiful. Um, there was cleaning tables, there was a shelter, um, there was heaps of cabins there. And, and, and the ramp and the floating pontoons were, were quite good. It was, it was really impressive. And Dave and I, we actually uh, had, a, had a bit of a joke. Um, 
when we when we came back for the day, um, Lake Parambit's got this big sign of all the species that you can catch in uh, Lake Parambit, and we were we were literally one species off doing a, a Lake Grand Slam. We had the Grand Slam, Joey. We had uh, we had eel. That was the big one. We caught an eel, which we thought was a giant chinook. Quite disappointed <laughs> when that came up. Dave was wailing when he had this uh, eel on, and we just thought it was just the 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 chinook the chinook of life. It was just it was peeling off line. I was like, <laughs> it was awesome, man. But um, I wasn't that upset once I realised that it would become great swordfish bait. So we brought that one aboard too, and then yeah, so we got the chinook, schnook, chinook. Uh, the eel, tiger trout, rainbow trout, brown trout. So the only thing left, Joey, was the redfin. The humble redfin. We didn't get a redfin, but we got every other fish on the on the board at the ramp, except the redfin. So yeah, it was it was just a fantastic afternoon um, fishing. And yeah, look, the it was quite windy when we got there, but we were in the northern end of the lake, and it was uh, it was quite calm. Now, the piece to resistance, Joey, we ran out of all our burley and stuff and we thought, you know what, coming into sunset, these fish are going to be up moving along the weed banks, any that aren't actually eating our burley. We could probably go in there and have a cast at a really big fish. So we'd been recommended diver double clutches, which is a bibbed uh, uh, crankbait, I think they Cool. I, I was laughing at double clutch. I, th- I thought you were talking about the clutch in your Navara because I'm so good at uh, stalling it down the ramp. I said, <laughs> die with double clutch. Is that for your car so I don't stall it down the ramp this time? Even though, admittedly, my boat's way lighter than yours. But, mm. yeah, double clutch in the car, mate. I don't think the Navara's got one of them. No, alas, Joey, it's not a double car clutch. It's a, it's a <laughs> diver lure that we were recommended to buy and we just went with that and yeah a few casts in and my lure got absolutely wailed upon by what i'm calling the world's biggest brown trout let's look at it there you go joey isn't she magnificent yeah that's it it's a, it's a male trout isn't it he's, it's, he's it's a male it's got the big hook jaw he's slender and long and he just looks like an old dog of the lake just uh Sniffing around, eating mud eyes and swimming around the reeds, just having his best life. He's an old dog, mate, and you know what? I, I don't know how long he had left in him, but I wasn't going to be the one to end that reign of terror along the wheat banks. So, and have we- a look, have a look at his jaw. Like he was a real old dog of the lake. He maybe he's seen a few lures before, but he, his jaw was um, out of place. That's for sure. That's right. That's right. But we we let him go. The main reason we went there, of course, Joey was. And oh, there's a close-up photo of him, actually, if you want to have a look at the, the Muto jaw. But uh, beautiful fish. But the main reason we actually went there, of course, Joey, was because we've talked about your love of crispy-skinned salmon and we wanted to go harvest our own crispy-skinned salmon, to which we did. We were happy when we caught one, one Chinook because that was all we wanted for our skin crisping. And um, we did that, came home. We commandeer my mum's kitchen because she's got a lovely kitchen and we wanted to film it. My kitchen's quite old school and crap. So she's, we went to mum's house. She's got an immense uh, taste, your, your mother. She's had a beautifully renovated kitchen yep. um, in, in a balnearing residence there. And uh, yeah, it was just fantastic. Perfect for filming. So what did you think, Joey? How did it compare to the Coles, Safco or whatever it is, T-cell farmed salmon? I, I tell you what, Dave... Um, you know, we had our good friend Jonah Yick on last week and one of the things he mentioned, the things that he loves 
mostly about fishing is uh, collecting your own food and knowing where it's from and um, actually getting to experience uh, the freshness of it. And really when we got the chance to eat um, this uh, Chinook salmon from Beat, you know, we caught it Friday. Um, we got home late Friday night. We had it for dinner Saturday night. And um, it absolutely shits all over um, the, the store-bought Atlantic salmon, um, in my opinion. And that, that, I'll put that down to, to being fresh. Look, maybe if you had this salmon and you kept it for a few days and then ate it, maybe it's not so good. But, you know, for a 24-hour turnaround from um, lake to plate, um, it, was, it was absolutely delicious. And um, we did that with uh, – Dave did some um, smashed potatoes – um, with some uh, like salt and pepper and, and cheese and we had some blanched broccolini, asparagus and, and beans and we just had some lemon wedges and we, we got that oil nice and hot on the pan and we crisped up the skin of the trout um, the, and the salmon and the tiger trout and that's, that's just what we, what we had. It was, um, it, was de- it was delicious. It was really good, Joey. I hope that's gotten everyone's mouths watering um, you know what? The actual the eel probably had the nicest looking flesh when I was cutting everything up. It was white flesh, Joey. Of course, I whammed a fourteen o circle in its head to use for a sword bait. But I was actually looking at it, going, "Geez, this, I reckon this would taste pretty damn good." This eel. So maybe one day we will try that. I, I had a few people telling me the eel was absolutely delicious, but uh, yeah, just the way it was slithering all over the deck before you <laughs> had to put him out of his misery. It wasn't, the, wasn't very attractive. The flesh looked white as snow, Joey, I'll tell you that much. There you go. Now, from eel talk, I think we need to get back on track, not leave our guest waiting. As we've said before, we've got Peter Pakula coming on the show tonight. We're going to give him a call. Fingers crossed he's, got, he's able to answer and give us some of his brilliant knowledge, Joey. Here we go. The man, the myth, the legend. G'day, how are you? Hello, Peter. How are you going? And welcome to Wind Against Tide podcast. Thank you so much for giving us a, a bit of your time tonight. We can't wait to have a chat to you and, and learn some of the knowledge that you've got from a brilliant career in fishing. How is it going up there in Queensland at the moment? Yeah, look, it's good. Um, basically, our, our business now is pretty much worldwide when it boils down to it. And Australia is still an important part, but it's, it's actually you know sort of dwindling in, in its importance to our business. Oh, we'll have to buy more lures then, Peter. <laughs> well, I think everybody's got them, haven't they, by now? I know. I, I, I am unable to lose my um, – I've got a couple of favourite Pakula lures that are very good on Big Bluefin, and for some reason I just don't seem to lose them. I lose all the other ones, but these ones I've managed to hold on to for probably about 10 years. So, um, yeah, I think you could be exactly right. We, we need a few – we need some more like Razor Gang type species down our way to – create a bit of mayhem with the lure spreads. Yeah, we've been trying to breed more wahoo and stuff and adjust them to colder water, but, you know, it hasn't really worked out yet. But, yeah. uh, look, you know, the, the business in Australia is great and certainly it's where we, we come from and, and where we sort of know the most about the place. So it's still really important to us and certainly most of the talks I do are Australian-based. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, just to learn a little bit about yourself before we go too much into the, the business side of things, I mean... You've got a very impressive resume as a fisherman too, as far as I know. Um, I know you've won many, many fishing tournaments, game fishing tournaments into clubs and the like. And yep. I just wanted to get a bit of an idea for everyone listening. How did you start off your 
fishing journey? Was it much like everyone else else fishing with their parents when they were young or is it something you took no, up on your own? No, pretty much the opposite actually. Yeah. Um, my parents hated me fishing. <laughs> uh, and in fact, whenever they found any fishing gear, they'd break it or throw it away or hide it. Um, oh. So basically I, I was a bit of a rebel and basically ran away and sort of hid fishing rods under Rose Bay Wharf and stuff like that. Uh, the first fish I caught was actually probably what started all the problems was that uh, we were on a picnic in Bobbin Head and I hadn't started walking yet. And my first steps were actually towards a fisherman who helped me catch a small uh, yellow-tailed yakka. Oh, really? So my parents were probably really pissed off that my first steps went towards them. <laughs> That's absolutely classic. And from that moment on, you obviously never looked back. So you started with smaller estuary species, obviously. Yeah, I was a wharf rat and basically worked my way through the uh, Sydney Harbour, running around the wharves for tailor, salmon, blackfish, trevally, stuff like that and then moved into rowing boats in Rose Bay and then moved on to the rocks and stuff and, and eventually went out in boats and, and that kind of stuff. But um, all the fishing was very much with friends who started when I did and it wasn't really for quite a while until we actually joined fishing clubs, which in those days was actually ANSA, yep. which was all really light line-based. You know, I was actually grew up using two-pound, four-pound and six-pound line, which is sort of one kilo, two kilo and three kilo. And when we finally went out on the ocean, I went to um, the northern suburbs to buy my first game fishing reel, which was a Neverall and 20-pound line. And I remember sort of being on the bus, coming home, looking at this 20-pound line and wondering what the hell could break that stuff. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I pretty soon learned when it boiled down. Yeah. But, yeah, so, you know, it was basically um, growing up with my friends. Then we joined clubs, uh, particularly mascot anglers and then Sydney uh, Eastern Suburbs Club. Remarkably, a, a, uh, we had a delivery driver drop some stuff off today and he said, are you a bit of a cooler? And did you used to live in Sydney? And I said, yeah. And he said, were you in um, Sydney Anglers fishing the Matins, which is a cliff off Dover Heights? And I said, yeah, but that was 50 years ago. And he said, yeah, I used to fish there with you. And I said, are you serious? So it was 50 years ago. <laughs> so, you know, it's the history is a very long one. And, and I fish for everything. You know, I can sort of see that you're showing bonefish and that sort of stuff which is what I fish for now on the flats because I'm an old bloke and the ocean hasn't been kind to me and my back's pretty much stuffed. So, you know, I do a lot of fly fishing and basically going back to my roots of estuary fishing as well. I, um, can, I can definitely relate to that, Peter. I'm only early 30s, but the ocean has pummeled me to a bit of a pulp and um, <laughs> myself and, and Joseph over here went trout fishing on uh, last weekend and it was quite amazing how much, just how much enjoyment we got out of that. Yeah, I, I, I listened to your cast and, you know, there's nothing new about using saltwater bait and fresh water. Uh, in fact, years ago, we used cooked prawns in Eucumbe. Yep. And and the reason it's so successful is because every living creature needs salt. Every living creature, from butterflies to everything needs salt. So in freshwater dams, especially old freshwater dams, the salt levels are really quite low. Yes. So they'll target anything salt in it. You might remember... Uh, a lot of the fish additives, the, the scent additives going back into the 70s were all salt-based. Yep, aniseed and the like. Yeah, but but before aniseed, it was all salt, and even the aniseed that was called aniseed was 50% salt. Well, do you think that it's maybe because a lot of these fish that are in the, like we were fishing, obviously, a landlocked impoundment, but m pretty much all those fish do run to the ocean, so it's probably inbuilt in them a little bit to be eating these bait fish anyway. 
Um, no, I, th- I don't think it's that. It's basically Australia is a very, very ancient continent. Yep. And um, a lot of the nutrients have, have gone from the, 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 the you know, the, the waters and the the beds. You know, basically the mud and stuff hasn't got a high salt content in Australia. And even in the ocean, you know, the salt content is really quite low because it's such an ancient leached um, environment. You know, you can sort of go somewhere volcanic, like, for example, the Cook Islands in Atataki, and you see the life on the sand flats there, and it's monumental compared to what we've got in Australia. Yep. And that's because the volcanic ash and stuff has still got a lot of salt content and other nutrients as well, of course. Yep. That's, that's – uh, I didn't think we'd go down this path straight away, but it's uh, really interesting to get into the nitty-gritty of all these various styles of fishing and locations. Well, the um, thing is that, that every type of fishing is appropriate to every other type of fishing. Like if, if you want to be a good fisherman, and, and I guess that's what's changed over the years. You know, when when I first started fishing, if you wanted to be a game fisherman, you, you really had to work your way up to it, you know, starting off on a wharf and then you basically used to get on boats, but you weren't allowed to touch anything for three years and you had to learn your craft. And every form of fishing helps you develop every other form of fishing. And, you know, these people who sort of come diving in and, and they go game fishing for the first time and that's the first fishing they've ever done, they're really finding it quite difficult because they don't understand the basics of fishing. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I've had this conversation a few times with a few friends of mine and like a lot of us, um, like a lot of people, we've started off chasing very small species even like probably the first thing I targeted as a really young guy was was toadfish of all things, which are a giant pest for everyone. But it's all honing skills and I think when you work your way up from tiny species through to the bigger ones, You've constantly got your sights set on the next goal, and you learn things along the way, and it's just that much more special when you when you reach it. Oh, absolutely! And you know, talking about toadfish, <clears throat> I actually did a thesis on toadfish. Did you have you ever watched them hunt um, soldier crabs? No, they do that as a combined group. Um, you'll get a toadfish that'll actually come up along the bank and spook the toadfish going up the bank, and there's actually three or four other toadfish up the bank waiting for them to come past, and then they nail them and come on shore, grab them. And the other thing that's interesting is when they grab a a soldier crab, they don't hog it. They actually share it with the other toads. That's very nice of them. Whereas a lot of other species, if they grab a piece of food, they'll bolt to to eat it, but the toadfish actually share it. So it's, it's interesting noticing what species do. Yes, absolutely. Uh, me and Joe had um, a nice pasta dish for dinner before we did this podcast and he uh, grabbed a bit of garlic bread and I tried to grab a bit off him, but he, he was not as kind as the toadfish. He bolted and uh, consumed the whole thing in front of me pretty rudely, I thought. He was a little bit low on salt, old Dave. So, yeah, he was uh, he was sniffing out some salt to uh, get some sustenance for him. <laughs> Loved uh, yeah, but pasta. But the, but the most important aspect of all of that is, you know, I used to really hate being categorised as a game fisherman. I'm just a fisherman. I'll, I'll fish for anything in, in any method. But, you know, over the years, you know, I had my bucket list and, and I basically ticked just about all of them off. So don't have a bucket list trip. Just <laughs> don't have a bucket list. Don't tick anything off. Just keep enjoying it. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, I could definitely say that you've fished for a massive variety of species. And I, that's one thing I did think. I thought, you know, he's not just a game fisherman. He's just a man that loves all forms of fishing. But one of the things yeah. I did want to touch on a little bit is we absolutely love catching big fish out of small boats in large oceans. And I know you've done a fair bit of that in the past. Um, you fished out of mainly small centre consoles, is that right? Yep. Uh, in fact, I, I pretty much started the whole small 
boat game fish, big fish thing. Yeah. And, and and I still really enjoy it. You know, basically, you know, you don't have a big crew um, and you've got something that's a real challenge to catch. And basically it's all up to you and your mate if you've got a mate or if you're fishing solo. You know, you are the weakest link and, and you know, it's exciting. It's really exciting. You know, I, I've also chartered a bunch of boats, you know, and nothing against charter boats, but early on I saved up for a few years ago and uh, fish cans uh, for giant black marlin. And I caught a few, and I didn't even see them. I had nothing to do with it. All I did was turn a, a reel, and they told me I caught a marlin. Yes, yep. You know, they cut the thing off even before I could get out of the chair to see it. Yeah. And uh, you know that that it took me three years to save for that, and and it was quite a, a downfall. You know, I know a lot of charter boats now understand that, and they let you see the fish and touch the fish and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, things have changed a lot. But when you're in a small boat or solo. You know, it's just a great experience, a great, great experience. So did you did you end up taking one of those little boats up to Cairns and catching some of those really big marlin? No, I actually um, didn't enjoy catching really big marlin. I, grew up, <laughs> I actually grew up uh, based on line class. So to me, um, catching fish 10 times line class is what I like doing, you know, and I had a, a major um, operation when I was 12 years old on my back and it's really never been 100%. So most of my fishing has been on, on eight kilo line, targeting fish over 80 kilos, and I managed to catch a bunch of them, um, which was really great. And I actually got quite tired of it. That became, you know, when you get really good at something and, and you know, game fishing has been my business and my life for, for over 50-odd years straight, and it became pretty predictable. Yeah. Um, I've even got some foot footage of us sort of fishing for blue marlin and actually turning the crew, I said, look, um, I'll just turn the boat. We should hook one in a second. I'll just go and get the camera. I come, and you know, it's on the footage. I go down to the cabin, grab the camera, switch it on, point it at the lure, and the marlin's up. I get the shot. You know, so it became ridiculously um, boring when it when it came down to it. So you know, I turned more to fly fishing after those days, and my back was stuffed. Yeah, you've know, you got a photo of that. You've got a photo of that tuna up there, um, and that day, uh, that boat hit a, a wave, and it really wrecked my back. Yeah, okay. That's actually um, good friends okay. of ours, Brad Parkinson and, and Paul Hamuzos. So, aren't they um, great guys? Aren't they just, you know, what fishermen are all about, just honest, straight shooters. They're great guys. Hey, absolute legends. Actually, I think Joey wanted to ask you a question about a particular lure colour relating to Brad. Didn't I, you, Joey? I, I actually did. Um, and, yeah, Brad Parkinson is a, a fantastic shoemaker as well. Um, I yeah. wonder if you've got uh, some of his uh, shoes at all, um, Peter. <laughs> No, I keep saying I'll go down to Melbourne and get a pair fitted up. I'd certainly love to get a pair. Yeah. But living in Queensland, I actually don't wear shoes most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm jealous. The, the jandals, the business uh, sandals. But uh, I wanted to Thank ask you. you, how was the, the Parco skirt um, invented? Because I was actually lucky enough to uh, get a – we tagged a, a bluefin over 100 kilos last year and it was on a Parco 12-inch medium sprocket. I'd love to know. How was that uh, incepted, that particular pattern? Okay. I hope this makes sense. Um, <laughs> we, we do a lot of experimentation, and, and the way we do experimentation is we get a lot of new guys coming into the sport who buy patterns of lures. Yep. Okay? Never fished before. They don't know anything about Pakula lures. They don't know anything about colours. And we'll put a new colour in their spread, right? And we don't tell them. Yep. And so if they catch a bunch of fish on that, we know it's a good colour. Right, yep. 
we used to use charter boats to promote our lures and all that sort of stuff and, and pro skippers and all that sort of stuff. But the reality is they can catch anything on a banana, right? They're good. So we really need colours that a novice can pick up and go and catch a fish and then we know it's good. Yep. So really the selection is, is really very little to do with me. It's basically just chucking out a whole bunch of colours and additives and waiting for reports. So you're letting the fish decide. Yeah, you know, I, I sort of get these guys ringing up and say, look, I really like this colour. And I say, well, what difference does that make? Are you trying to catch fish or are you trying to catch yourself? <laughs> so how about you get what the fish like, not what you like? Yep, I understand and, that. Yep. And, and we put a lot of additives in there too, you know, like, you know, we've got a lot of Lumo colours, not just the green. Um, just about every skirt we've got and head we've got is um, fluorescent and UV and also we've got a new additive called Cat, which all the new skirts have got in them as well. So even though you're seeing, for example, green, it's actually blue to the fish and ultraviolet and all that sort of stuff. So there's a lot more to it than the colours you see. Yep. Yeah. Mother, you, what you see is not what you get. Yes, okay. So is are we saying Brad's one of those fishermen that we were testing lures on? <laughs> no, that no, was just from Dar. Uh, we name lures after anything. Brad had just happened to call up at about 10 minutes before we... We're going to put that Lou in the range, and they said, "What do you want to call?" So, oh, Brad just rang up. Just call it Brad Parker. Just call it Parker. Yeah, oh, that's cool. No good story. But you know, he's a good bloke, so it was worth naming a lure after him anyway. Yeah, he's the Pakula lure maker of the shoe industry. He's made <laughs> me and Joe some shoes, and they couldn't recommend them highly enough. They're like the quality of a medium sprocket, I would say, Peter. Fantastic. Good luck to you. <laughs> um, so, speaking a little bit of about the evolution of the industry there when you've discussed uh, the cat additive that you've introduced to your lures. Uh, yeah. I know you've done 3D printed heads. You had a range of hybrid lures a while ago, which I think we called mm -hmm. a, a dojo. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so how do you – I get the feeling that with the fishing industry, a lot of it comes down to angler psychology, fads, what seems to be working, what's on social media. So if you were to make a lure just purely based – on what would perform best and catch the most fish, what would it look like? Uh, the 3D print. Yep. The 3D print with the fish prints on them, they're, they're absolutely lethal. And, you know, people don't really understand them. You know, you hear a lot about weighted lures that are lead keeled. Well, the, the 3D printed heads are air, air keeled, which is actually a thousand times more stable than a lead keeled lure. And we've got uh, Venturi jets in them. And a Venturi jet is at the uh, face of the head, the, the the jet holes are quite large and where they come out, they're quite small, so they actually whistle and it's just turning out that the Venturi jets are really um, absolutely blitzing it. In fact, we've just come out with a whole bunch of little squid uh, with 3D printed um, heads on them uh, for daisy chains and spreader bars and stuff like that and they're absolutely blitzing it too. And now the guys are using those little heads on garfish and slimies when they're trolling for... Spanish mackerel and, and marlin and all sorts of stuff, and they're proving very, very effective. So that's the direction we're going in. Plus they're all uh, UV and a lot of them are Lumo as well. Yeah. So the big thing with those 3D printed heads is probably stability through the water. Is that right? It enables so, the fish. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Stability and the, and the whistle that or the, the vibration that the Venturi's put out. Yeah, okay. And, and can I just backtrack for a second? What is a cat additive um, in, a, in a lure? Oh, we're not telling you. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, what's the exact makeup and compound of that? Yeah, yeah we're, we're not telling you. Basically, as soon as we brought out the UV thing, which took me about 10 years to get people to 
use UV and salt water and now everybody's doing it. And of course, the Lumos profit, which took me 10 years to get accepted because everybody said green doesn't work here. <laughs> wow. um, and that was copied by just about everybody. I think every Lumaker's now got a Lumo color in there. Yeah. Um, so we've got the cat attitude. We're just not telling people what it is. That's, That's all right. You've got to keep some things up your sleeve. Yeah. With but, these um, fish print lures, is it right? Am I right in saying they're designed to be run as literally one color on every skirt? So one bait fish color, and it's supposed to represent an actual realistic school of bait fish? I don't know if, it, if it, it's realistic, but they're certainly very effective. Um, but yes, they run as a pack, and you run them closer together than you do with a normal spread. Like you tighten up the pack a fair bit. Yeah, okay. So would you say that people running various heads, head shapes and colours and brands of lures is actually counterproductive? It might look pretty to them and they have their favourites, but it's not the most effective way? Look, I, I think it's a bit absurd because people really don't understand what goes on. Like, I actually come from the clothing trade um, and I was a designer and a machine manufacturer and, and all the things I studied when I was in the clothing trade actually relate to fishing, you know, including the marketing and the, the design and all that sort of stuff. And I was highly qualified in all that. And in the rag trade, we used to speak to other designers and other manufacturers and sort out, you know, who was going to do what for the season. And when I became a lure maker, um, nobody has those discussions. You know, for example, I designed my lures to work at about six and a half to seven and a half knots. But other lure makers make their lures to work at eight knots and nine knots and all that sort of stuff. And but they're just not compatible. So if you're going to run a spread of lures, pick a band, you know, hopefully it's Pakula, but if it's not, speak to your lure maker and get a set of his lures and run them in the colours uh, and in the head shapes that he tells you to run them in which positions. And you can't go wrong. If you're running mixed lures, you, you know, you're going to have a hot lure because only one's working. Yep, absolutely. Okay. Would you say that it's location-specific? Um, uh, no. You're probably not going to agree to me because your lures are very good all over the world. But for, for an example, Hawaiian lures are quite famous and a lot of guys bring them in and run them in in Australia, but our seas are quite different. That's traditionally a bit calmer over in Hawaii than it is here. Do you think that that affects those lures action and they're not as effective here? Well, it's because of Hawaiian lures I started making lures. You know, we fished Sydney, which was really rough. Yep. And I was out on the back deck because I got seasick in those days when I went in the cabin. So I was the mug untangling lures all bloody day because they kept bouncing out going sideways. Yep. And that's why I actually started making lures to actually run in those conditions. But what I didn't know is that the Hawaiian lures we were getting was from Kona and the guys were going there during the summer and using the lures that those guys use in summer when um, the volcano is actually blocking all the wind, so it's dead flat. But in winter, it's quite rough of Kona and out of Honolulu, where most of the lure makers actually come from, their lures that are quite different for the rough water. So the actual Honolulu lures um, work incredibly well in Australia, but no, nobody ever brought them in, I guess because they weigh a lot, because they use lead to get them to work properly. And so the freight was a lot, so they cost a lot more than the Kona lures, which were quite light. Yeah, so it, it could boil down to something as simple as freight costs, potentially. Yeah, and just that the guys were there at the time when it was calm and they bought the lures because the guys were showing them how to use them and they were successful. But, for example, the Hawaiian International Billfish Tournament has been won on, on Pakula lures more than any other brand. Yep. So, you know, the Pakula lures work well. But the thing is that you're getting at is area-specific. No, they're not. The billfish worldwide don't know where they are. They don't have passports. They're all in the same temperature range and they all eat exactly the same bait. 
So if you get a lure that works well somewhere in those conditions, then it'll work everywhere. Yep. Fair point. And same thing for tuna. You know, like basically now the, you know, with the southern bluefin in, in Victoria, now we're actually using the same systems slightly larger now in markets that are just opening up again in Ireland, uh, in the United Kingdom and in Norway and a few other Scandinavian countries, and we're selling a lot of gear over there. Um, and also, you know, northern uh, Canada and all that sort of stuff. So, and they're exactly the same colours, exactly the same lures, slightly bigger because the fish are enormous. They're up to a 1,000 pounds. Mm. But it's exactly the same techniques and same colours, same lures. And what do you think about, there's been a real explosion here in the last couple of years with people running spreader bars and um, generally they'll run a, a bullet-shaped head behind that. Is that something that you would have predicted would have taken off in Australia? Because I know that's pretty well uh, versed technique in the, the US. Is it something that Bakula may look at getting more into in the future? Well, we actually got into it in the early, uh, late 1980s. There was a guy in America called Captain Fred Archer who was the guy who developed most of the, the techniques with spreader bars and dredges and all that sort of stuff. And um, I actually used to spend a lot of time talking to him. And we actually started using uh, daisy chains in Sydney. And they were unbelievably effective on a boat called Constance. We caught a lot of fish to the point where they actually got banned by the Game Fishing Association of Australia because we caught too many fish when nobody else was catching fish. So instead of everybody else using them, they banned them in tournament fishing. Yep. Um, and now they're coming back in and we, we do sell a lot of them. We've got a huge variety of daisy chains and all that sort of stuff. <coughs> <coughs> and particularly now the new daisy squid with those venturi heads are really spectacular. Yeah, okay, interesting. It's, I suppose that goes back to what we're saying about um, fads with fishermen because whilst you offer that, several years or many years ago it seems to have uh, come back into mainstream fishing media as it was recently and everyone seems to be picking it up well the other thing too is that people aren't member of game fishing clubs anymore so they're not following game fishing rules so you know basically now they can use any system they want and so they're using daisy chains and dredges and spreader bars and all that sort of stuff which are incredibly effective yeah how have you seen our developing or somewhat developing fishery for southern bluefin tuna down here in Victoria? Is it something have like you've been fishing for quite some time? Um, have you ever seen it so strong as it is now? And how's that been for your business? Oh, it's been great. We actually bought a house because of the bluefin <laughs> fishery in, in 2015. <laughs> um, it, no, no, it's been great. But but the thing is that it really started in the, in the mid 1980s. We sold a lot of lures. Uh, down to Portland and, and Melbourne and a few guys were running them but they weren't telling anybody about the bluefin and when they were telling them about the bluefin nobody believed them so it actually took a long time to kick off. Australia's quite anal in their beliefs that you know it really takes a long time for anything to really get accepted in Australia. Yes absolutely I, th I think I could have paid for maybe your patio or something back in 2015 <laughs> with all the cool lures I would have purchased around that period. Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> no problem at all. And my wife likes shopping, so much more appreciate it. I feel that's right. Um, you know, we were talking about the, the small SBT, and um, in Victoria, everyone seems to be chucking stick baits um, for them now also as well. It, it's taken them a long time to adapt to that. There are a lot of people doing it at the minute, doing top order for tuna. Yeah, look, you know, the, the things that people um, – look, they're just fish. You know, they're, 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 there's nothing special about – Tuna is a pelagic fish. 
every method you use to catch a pelagic fish anywhere will work on tuna. Yep. You know, so it, it, any sort of spinning stuff, you know, the thing is the thread line reel is just not the most effective way of catching a fish. You know, you should be using a lot more overheads because they're, they're just a lot more effective as a tool to actually catch big fish than a thread line is. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if we move up, back up the coast a little bit, back into Marlin Territory, uh, yep. I know where we fish on the south coast, predominantly most people fish live baits or, or skip baits. What would you say to those people that say that a live bait is always going to be more effective than a trolled lure? Well, then lures would never win tournaments and they win about 30% of them. Yep. Whereas only about 3% of people are trolling them. So lures are very effective. But, you know, you have to learn how to use lures. You know, I'm happy talking to people all day on, on the ways you should do it. And, you know, you can really increase your hookup rates. I've got lots of articles and all that sort of stuff. And I can really help you catch as many fish as you do, mostly on, on live bait. Where it falls down is when you get 30 boats over a bait school and they're forcing the bait down and the fish down so they're not on the surface anymore yep. and they're spooked. So, you know, certainly then bait works the most. But if you're, if you're going somewhere in your bat, there's only three or four boats around, lures really do hold their own. Yeah, and I know that all this information is on uh, your website or it's on the Pakula Marlin Bar, I believe. There's heaps of good stuff on there. But what what would be the rig that you would choose if you were out towing lures for, say, 100 kilo striped marlin in terms of terminal tackle? Okay, striped marlin are a unique thing. Everybody uses lures that are too big. The, the right size lure for a striped marlin is 7 or 8 inch. Yep. And the, hook you, the rig you use is a Pakula swivel rig. And you use a hook size, one size up. So for a size 25 lure, size 25 lure means the head's about 25 millimetre diameter. You'd use a size 30 Pakula hook. And the size 30 means the gape of the hook is 30 millimetres. So it's slightly bigger than normal because you're after a bigger fish that eats smaller bait. Yep. So would you say to get those marlin into the spread, because a lot of people run the bigger lures to raise the marlin. So is it more of a case of running your, your supplementary teasers and then once they come up and they're ready to eat, they're eating a smaller profile lure and therefore you're getting a better hookup? Lures aren't great teasers. You know, they're, 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 lures are supposed to catch fish. If you're going to use teasers, use stuff like witch doctors or spreader bars without hooks in them yep. and just have your smaller lures just directly behind those things and you'll be highly successful. You don't need to use lures as, as teasers. It's, it's not effective. Okay, well said. And, and also, once a striped marlin is fixated on something, it may not switch. So you're better off just having whatever you're going to catch the, you know, bring the fish up on that it's going to attack, um, have a hook in it. Very, very valid and interesting point and uh, definitely agree with what you're saying there. Uh, now, I remember several years ago I was um, lucky enough to be tuna fishing off a little town called Beachport in South Australia and um, I don't think this town had ever seen game boats or, or big fish come through but on this day it did. And um, one of a uh, friend of ours happened to come out in the afternoon and he caught a 178 kilo, I think it was from memory, bluefin tuna and that was on a, a Pakula sprocket. W what would be, because that, that was obviously a very memorable capture in my eyes, just seeing the immense size and proportions of that fish, but what would be the favourite fish that you have ever caught on one of your lures or that one of your customers has caught on one of your lures? No idea. <laughs> too many to too many to think of. Well, there's about I think sixteen thousand pounders caught on pakulas. Um, my most favourite fish was one hundred and thirty kilo blue on eight kilo. Um, my wife's caught two granders 
uh, either of which took more than 10 minutes. Um, but, you know, look, all fish are special. But interesting, I, I don't really remember many fish I've caught, but I remember heaps I've lost. You know, they're, they're the ones that keep getting me back. Yeah, I, I can definitely understand where you're coming from there. There's been a few occasions where we've uh, got a sorrow, sorry tale of what could have been. That's, um, yeah, now two, two weeks ago I was in Atataki and I'm fishing for bonefish. And on my bucket list, one of the last ticks is a 15-kilo bone, uh, yeah, bonefish. And I hooked five of them over 15 kilos. Four of them got into the coal and one I got about 20 foot away from me and the guide sort of said, oh, that's much bigger than 15 kilos. And I busted it off and he said, what the fuck did you do that for? Sorry about that. <laughs> that's all right. I said, I said, I'm not real sure I actually want to catch it. And he goes, what do you mean? <laughs> what you're after? And I said, yeah, but what happens when I catch it? What am I supposed to do then? <laughs> yeah, you'll be finished. You'll have to stop fishing. Yeah, you know, and it's sort of like don't kill the golden goose. I said, look, you know, let's just keep catching eight and ten pounders and maybe one day when I'm older and I can't do this anymore, we'll crack the 15 kilo one. That's uh, that's some pretty good foresight to be um, in that frame of mind whilst battling the fish of your dreams. Yeah, but what is your dreams? What what you've got? To, what is your dreams? My dream is it actually catching the fish or being where fish are, and having you know the people around me that I want around me, and not being at work and dealing with the problems of work. Not that we have many, but you know it's it's basically I'm actually at a crossroads now where I'm starting to realise fish. I go fishing for the sanctuary, and I, I guess that's what it's always been for me. Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. I think that we. Yeah, we're starting to get to that point ourselves. You know, we've done quite a lot of big fish hunting and it's definitely, as we said earlier, sitting on a, a, vol a once active volcano, although a long time ago, uh, cubing for sal salmonoids. We enjoyed that as much as <laughs> as going out and hunting some of the, the biggest fish that we can access. So I completely understand what you're saying. Yeah, well, that's, really, you know, that's really what it's about, you know, and... You know, I, I guess I get overloaded, and, and you would too. You know, basically most of the people we know on social media are all fishermen, and you're forever seeing people holding, you know, three kilo fish close to the camera so they look like 15 kilo, and and you get this real overload, and you go, what difference does it make if I take a photo of another fish? Yeah. Do you feel a bit targeted there, Joseph? What? <laughs> holding <laughs> holding the three kilo fish close to the camera? I don't know. I think that ch Chinook salmon was only about 600 grams in the, one of those ones. The, the 500-gram Chinook you managed to make five kilo. Yeah, but it's all right. Everybody does it, so you should do it. You know, if you, if you actually show a 50-gram fish, everybody's going to laugh at you. So Exactly. You know, People have sure false expectations these days. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, basically you've got to work out what you want out of fishing, not what you're going to try and make everybody happy with because you're not going to make them happy. We were just happy with crispy skin salmon, really. That's that's what we went to go and do. Well, what you did is you had a plan, you had a target, and you accomplished it, and that's fantastic. Yeah, no, you're spot on there. That's exactly what it was. C can I ask you a bit of a deeper question here? With game fishing, it seems to be coming under more and more increased pressure from uh, animal rights groups and that sort of thing. Do you see a future where... In Australia, we won't be able to participate in game fishing. Look, I'm blown away that we're allowed to kill wild fish as it is, you know, not just game fish, but any fish. It's amazing that we can still go out there and do that. I wrote an article about, uh, this is about actually 20 years ago when this was still part of the culture, and I wrote an article sort of saying, you know, I was driving down from Brisbane and I saw a kangaroo in a paddock and I shot it and 
put it in the truck and then I went another 500 yards, saw a koala, shot that, put it in the truck, then saw a goanna, shot that and put it in the truck, you know. And, you know, these are all our native animals that, you know, nobody would shoot and bloody take home, would they? No one. No. Apart well, from the Some flying, people might. Yet we can still go out there and target our native species and pelagic fish. You know, it's, it's remarkable that we can still do that. Uh, do I see a time where we won't be able to? Absolutely. But probably not in my lifetime, which is I'm already 70, so it's unlikely in my lifetime, and probably not in your lifetime, but I think probably your great-grandchildren probably won't be able to target wild species because they'll be worth too much commercially. Yeah, which is a shame because, you know, going out and collecting fresh fish for yourself and family to eat, which is what we tend to do mostly these days, is... It is there's something cathartic about that, and I hope that that is available for future generations. I, I think what will happen is there'll be more and more. And what I find remarkable in Queensland is we've got the put and take bass fishery, you know, the Australian bass around the Gold Coast. Yeah. Right. These fish are totally replaceable, yet nobody kills them. Yeah. You, you go up to a Wonga or Monduran uh, fishing for you know, a metre-long barrow, which there's plenty of. Nobody kills any. They're totally replaceable. Yet we go out and we target um, flathead, brim that are 30 years old, and we bump them off like there's not, you know, like they're totally replaceable and they're not. You know, we, we basically have to be accountable for what we're doing too. And I think, you know, what we'll end up with is a lot of um, empowerment fishing or, or areas in salt water which are basically farmed and stocked that we can take fish from but I think the wild fishery will be left alone within 50 years, I guess. Okay. Does that make sense? No, it does, yeah. It's great to get your thoughts on that one. Do you have a little bit of time left, Pete, to maybe answer some of the questions some guys have shot across to us? Oh, yeah. We very rarely get those, but, yeah, go for your life. Oh, we've got a few here. Uh, so Pat O'Meara wants to know, do you think there are some fisheries where diving lures work better than skirted lures? Uh, he means bibbed minnows. Uh, not really, but make your mind up which one you're going to use. They both work well. Uh, where bib minnows fall to bits, really, is the way they're set up when you buy them. If you're going to use the bib lure, just have a single hook on the tail. Don't have any other hooks on it, and then you'll land a lot more fish because you'll get a deeper hook set. Yep. Yeah, great. Um, Pete, I've got um, from Sean Hildyard, um, would like to know light gauge hooks versus single hooks versus double hook rig which has the better hookup rate for marlin? Uh, basically, uh, light gauge hooks are for 15 kilo and under. There's no need to use them on 24 kilo and above. Hookup rate's no good. Uh, the best rigs we do are swivel rigs, which are actually out fishing the twin hook shackle rig. Um, but the thing about hookups is it's complicated. It's not just the rig, it's your drag settings, which will be one third the breaking strain of the line. Um, if you're going to use outriggers and you use taglines so there's no dropback, so you get an immediate hookup and, and things like that. I've got an article on pakula.com under trolling called Increase Hookup Rates, which pretty much covers the best way of getting an increased hookup rate. Like age hooks, you certainly don't use those on heavy tackle. There's just no reason to. No. I, I remember you actually saying that you fish 50% uh, breaking strain when trolling lures in order to yeah. increase your hookup rate. I do, but I've also got uh, blueprinted reels. They're not going to, you know, there's no inertia on them. Right, okay. So quite a custom setup. Yeah. All right, we've got another question here from the Roach Life. 
What is the all-time most popular lure you have ever made? He's sort of having a guess that it would have been the Lumo Sprocket. It is. Right. Well, that answers that one pretty much. Uh, is it the best lure now? No, it's not. Uh, the Brad Jay's creaming all over it. And then the fish prints are creaming all over that. So the currently the best ones are um, the fish prints. Okay. So here's another question for you. What is the go-to Pakula lure spread for barrel bluefin to start off with for someone just starting out? Uh, it's what we call a pack 60, which has got uh, three 8-inch lures and two 11-inch uh, lures in the pack. And you can get that in fish prints or uh, our, our normal favourite colours. Okay. It's called, a pack, it's called a pack 60. So anyone who wants is looking to get into trolling for tuna, get in, get yourself a pack 60 from Pakula Lures, put it on, and, and they'll be climbing into the boat. We, and the most important thing is get us to rig them because a lot of guys buy lures and then put the dumbest rigs on them possible and they're not going to be successful. So get us to rig the first batch of lures and then just copy the rigs. Yeah, so just uh, people that are listening um, on YouTube live and will be listening back to this, um, yeah, where would be the, the best place to pick that up? Is, is that direct through yourself, um, Peter, through the website or is there somewhere else? I think your first purchases really should be through me and we've got um, an online chat that pops up on our websites. Uh, get on to me, ask me the questions, let me know where you're fishing, let me know what gear you're using. I'll tell you it's wrong and try and set you in the right direction and then go to your local tackle store and, and basically get the stuff from there to support the local tackle stores. Yeah, fantastic. They don't have the, they, they don't have that information. And and you have and you know, when when you order something from Peter, he, he usually does get back to himself personally. He's a busy man, but um yeah, it's fantastic. You get that kind of level of service from him. No, I can actually absolutely vouch for that, Joey. In the past I've had some discussions with Peter. He probably doesn't remember him because he talks to a million fishermen a day. But um, you know, he's he once sent out a uh, lure to me and turned out it was the wrong colour. I didn't even realise. But he straight away, no questions asked, sent me out another lure of the correct colour and I ended up with two Pakula lures straight away. He was just nice enough to help me out and uh, get me back into the big bluefin, Joey. And we've had some discussions about different hook types and whatnot and he's a very approachable man. Of course he was. You paid for his wife's uh, new front garden. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Look, the thing too is that people, people don't understand. Making lures is the most boring bloody profession on the planet. You know, skirting another 500 fucking lures. And, and geez. <laughs> so, so talking to people is, is a really good way of getting out of skirting lures. So, yeah, I'll talk to people all day if I can get away from the skirting bench, I can tell you. <laughs> Very good. Another question here. Any chance of some winged lures? What do you think about the current crop of winged lures that are quite popular? Oh, look, these came in and oh, these are, it's about the fourth time they've come in in, in my history and th they don't store well. The, the wings bend and, and you know, that, that you end up with spinners and you get your line all twisted up and there's really nothing to show that they catch any more fish than anything else. Okay, fair enough. Is there another question? What's on the horizon in terms of Pakula lures? Is there any new prototypes in, in the making currently? Um, look, I'm a designer by, by profession. It doesn't take me long to design stuff. If I want to design stuff, basically I knock over a range in a day and it's out. Um, so, no, there's no great development process that we go through. I know what the lures are going to do. I would certainly like to see more acceptance of the 3D heads. We've got a, a range called the Original Range, which we've been doing since 1985 and got to be good to kill it and wipe it out and replace that with uh, 3D printed Venturi jet heads. 
Uh, so you're just waiting on the general public to, uh, to for that to become the fashion and then you'll be able to slowly get rid of the rest of the range. Well, we're going to keep doing the power range, but the yep. original one with the uh, the big eyes and stuff in it, I'd, I'd love to kill that range because people <laughs> say these are really good. And I go, mate, there's so much better out there. <laughs> but you can but keep buying them if you like. Is, Dave, what happens is somebody who started using Pakul lures, for example, in 1990 and was successful, he thinks they're the best lures there are and he wants to keep using them. You know, the amount of people that we get saying, mate, I've I just lost my lure. It's about 20 years old. I think it was green, and I'm not sure what head it was. Uh, can you replace it? I go, shit, you know, get one of the new ones, will you, please? You know? Yeah. <laughs> There's about two of them a week, and my reactions aren't, please. Just go, you know, leave me alone and just get a new one. <laughs> yes, fishermen, us fishermen are creatures of habit. and um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and it's hard to break that habit. I understand that, but it's just frustrating from my point of view that that better. Well, Joey, I think I might go out and buy some 3D printed lures. I know fish, we could uh, run prints. some 3D Venturi uh, heads of glory for our bluefin run this year. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll bring it up. We'll bring it in, Joey. We're trendsetters, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, one more well, question, I'll, Pete. I'll send you a set. Because you've been so good to me uh, having me on here, which I really appreciate, I'll send you a set. Oh, Pete, you don't have to do that. We, we would appreciate it, but we really appreciate you making the time to come on the show i'm going to finish with one more question for you from ryan foo uh if you only had access to two 50 wide setups so two rods spread what lures and positions would you run i wouldn't go fishing <laughs> you'd save your pennies on the fuel money and buy some more rods <laughs> yeah yeah really you know you can you control two lures and if there's a school of fish around, you're going to catch some fish, but really it's just not ideal. It's just not ideal. Yeah. But to, to answer your question, I'd run, where are you fishing? Uh, I would suspect Ryan's fishing in Victoria for big tuna. All right. Two two size 40 um, red bait fish prints with size 30 uh, rigs in them. Perfect. There you go, Ryan. I hope that helps you out. Uh, recommendation from the man himself. But oh. save up and get some more outfits. Sorry, we've got one more on the live feed here. A question. Uh, Henrik Isaacson is asking whether you would ever run uh, two witch doctors at once for your teasers or whether you'd be running um, – would you be running multiple teasers basically? Uh, yes, if I've got the crew to do it. Um, and also if I'm in, in, in a trailer boat because, you know, a lot of people – watch a lot of the videos and when they hook up, they sort of stop the boat, pull the gear in and back up the boat. Basically, the beauty of a centre console or a small trailer boat is when you hook up, you actually don't go backwards. You basically go forwards and try and intercept the fish. Um, so you can actually leave the gear out there. You know, when I was solo fishing, I personally used two witch doctors and a spreader bar and I'm fishing by myself with five rods. And when I hook up, I don't pull the gear in until the fish settles down and I'm going forward, not backwards. Yeah, I find that quite interesting, Pete. Like a lot of people, I'm not sure if they're doing it because they want to be a big game boat or what, but it's definitely does not seem to be the most efficient way to chase down a big fish in a um, outboard engined trailer boat. They not def- at all. In they- fact, it's a good way to sink a boat. Uh, and, and we had that happen recently in um, Portland a few weeks ago um, in the rough weather. A boat, uh, not confirmed, but um, may or may not have been reversing down on a fish and got away a wave break over the back and it turned over yeah yeah 
you've got to be careful out there. You know, and boats are designed to do certain things and little boats are little boats. You know, there's a lot of conditions. You just should not be out there in a little boat. Yeah, and just to go back a, a step, look, most of the people here know what a, what a witch doctor is, but in terms of a fish teaser, what, what is a Pakula witch doctor for those people listening in that might not know about it? The, <laughs> the, the witch doctor is, is a, a block of wood. Its history dates back to when I was 14 years old fishing Lake Eucumbine, right? And my dad had some friends down there who were catching lots of fish on downriggers, and I didn't have a downrigger. And I cut up this piece of wood, put some lead in it, and used it as a downrigger, uh, trolling little uh, lures called quickfish. I don't know if you know about the quickfish lure. Oh, I'm not a, not familiar with it, unfortunately. Okay, it's an ancient lure, but uh, this is going back when I was 14. I'm now 70, mm. so it's a long time ago. And uh, we were trolling the the quick fish about uh, 50 foot behind the witch doctors. And when we were pulling in the witch doctor, there was about 10 trout following the witch doctor and we didn't look anything on the lure. So we actually moved the lure to about six inches behind the witch doctor and in an afternoon we got 37 trout. And it was years later when I was game fishing, I said, I'm going to try a witch doctor and we made it look pretty, painted it up, put mirrors on it and it was incredibly effective from day one. And we sell a ridiculous amount of them, a ridiculous amount. Dave, that, that's Dave, it, that, Joey. We're going back to Lake Parambate. We're bringing the witch doctor. That's why we didn't get the big chin dogs on at Lake Parambate. We didn't have a witch doctor, Davey. <laughs> we'll, we'll go back this weekend, Joey. Stuff the swordfish and the tuna. It's uh, hilarious. It's hilarious when you're trolling this block of wood and you pull it in. There's about 10 trout following it. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. We'll have to give it a go. Uh, Pete, thanks so much for your time tonight. It's been a really enlightening chat and um, it's been a real pleasure and we hope to catch up with you somewhere down the track. Thanks very much, mate. Thank you, and I'm always available, and thank you very much for your time. Have a great night. See you, Peter. Legend, thanks. Joey, that was a really good chat, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's, um, yeah, he's just, he's just been, he's been all, over the, all over the world, and he's been making lures for a long time, and I'm so glad we actually got to get him on the show. Now, if your question didn't make it to air, I do apologise. I had to kind of edit on the fly there. A lot of them we'd already asked him. They'd been brought up in general conversation. A lot of questions about his favourite lures and um, from the sounds of it, it would be a fish print, print spread every day of the week at the moment with a 3D printed head. So I think that covers quite a few the, of the questions that we didn't get to. The Venturi jet. The Venturi and the keel, Joey. Oh, no, yeah. they don't have a keel, do they? The whistle. Yes. Oh, God, I was in trouble. I didn't listen right. properly. <laughs> no, that's all good. And, um, yeah, if you're interested in getting stuck into some Pakula lures, um, just go on his website and, um, yep, you can order direct from him and you'll get some first-class customer service um, if, um, from Peter himself. Um, you know, quite often we'll just email you back after you pop in your order um, if you need any further help with any of his lures or products he's got on offer. And then head on down to your local tackle store and buy the rest of them because we want to support our local tackle stores, don't we, Joe? Yep. Uh, every, we want to uh, – what do you say, Dave, that uh, – it, it, um, what is that saying you say about a, a, a rising tide floats all the boats? That's exactly it, Joey. A rising tide floats all ships. That's it. So everyone needs to support each other in the fishing industry and in life in general. A little bit of uh, motivation from Wind Against Tide for the day. Now, let's move on to our favourite segment, Joey. Are you ready for this? Oh, I'm ready for it. Is this uh, the one with uh, the squealing wheel? <laughs> the squealing wheel? The reel? squealing wheel. Yeah, let's do it. 
Welcome to The Hookup, where we go around Australia and indeed the world for the freshest fishing reports. Uh, and tonight's hookup is sponsored by Webster's in Bandstale. That's websterfurniture.com.au, supplying Gippsland with furniture and homewares since 1977. They've got a huge showroom with all the big brands like Lazy Boy, IMG, Norway, and Australian-made sleep maker mattress mattresses, just to name a few. They're a one-stop shop to turn your house into a home. And Joey, being down there in Gippsland, you can be out on the ocean chasing big fish and the Webster crew will drop a couch off to your house whilst you're fishing. Yes, with also uh, free delivery and installation across Gippsland. How good is that? So thanks uh, for supporting the show for this week. Simon Webster from Webster's Furniture. You're a bloody legend, mate. And your Webby. On to the reports, Joey. Now, I've got at the top of the list there some... This crew of movers and shakers have exposed a brand new fishery. No, no, not really. We went down and fished the Crater Lake last week, as we've discussed. So there's a lot of fish in there, isn't there, Joe? There's a lot of fish in that lovely little lake, and we've dubbed it. Um, we're, we're setting the trend. Hashtag chin dogs. Chin dogs. The chin dogs are on at Beat. Get stuck into them. Go and grab a bag of pillies and some 2-0 hooks and just go and burly up a storm and have some fun. Mate, the chin dog salmon were... Absolutely on fire. If you wish to try your hand at catching a more wild brethren, which, you know, that's questionable because they are an introduced species, Joe, so what even is wild, you know what I mean? Um, But that's going down a rabbit hole. Anyway. uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's just like a giant aquarium par and beat. They've just just stocked it very well. That's right. Now, if you want to fish a more running river type scenario, you can be, of course... Is loading up on the big pre-spawn trout. There'll be a million people there in the next few weeks. But also the Goulburn River, fishing extremely well. I believe there might still be some fish that have escaped captivity in the waters there, Joey. I reckon a couple of brood broods have uh, found their way further up the river. <laughs> Not even the brood stockers, I'm told. I think that one of the uh, the, the trout farm there, Hatchery, just overflowed and they all escaped to freedom. Yeah. Only to be kept, caught one at a time. So that's your trout fishing covered, Joey. Nice. And and you you um when you were taking the guts out of one of the trouts the other day, you said there was like almost back to like Parambe, but lots of bugs. Lots oh, of bugs so in the guts. Unusual for me to be filleting a fish and bugs go everywhere. But yeah, they'd uh, definitely been feeding up they hadn't just been eating our pilchard chunks, Joey. They were they were on the bugs. So uh, a lot of food in there, that's probably why they tasted really good. Our local bluefin still going strong. It's the never ending season, Joey. Yeah, absolutely, and um, there've been fish reported off Cape Shank, thirty-five to forty meters. I've seen this week as well. So not just the eastern entrance. There's there's stuff happening off the western entrance of uh, Western Port also. Yeah, and out of Port Phillip and through to Apollo Bay and bloody everywhere. You go have a look. You're probably going to find them off, off Barwon. They're still going, Davy. Yep, I believe they are, Joey. So bigger fish will be showing their heads very soon as well. I believe. A bit of the biomass of the big bluefin down at Portland have shifted west a little bit towards Port McDonnell. So the charter boats out of Port McDonnell in South Australia have started to get into some big fish. So, I mean, look for that bite to continue throughout winter, basically, in one form or another. They yeah. might move, move locations, but there'll be fish to be had, Joey. And how's Portland been going, Davey? Portland's still producing fish, a little bit tougher at the moment. Um, obviously, the weather's been a big issue recently we've had some horrendous winds and seas so oh, and, and the rain last weekend my gosh i'd expect off the back of that to f- the fishing to really fire up joey 
Um, North Arm Squid, we called it last week, didn't we? Yes, you heard it here first. Peter Ferguson, a.k.a. Gotta Be Red, just went straight up into that Western Port North Arm and he just absolutely had a ball on those big squid. Out of all those favourite shallow bank locations which Dave (laughs) mentioned. Yes, um, and not just Pete either. Big T from... Uh, from online tackle at Hastings went out and smashed them. I think yesterday as well, and some giant whiting as well. He got the giant sefs and he got the giant whiting as well. He's the man, the big T. He never fails. So yeah, lots of squid around for those that want to get a feed or some bait, and just bloody good fun actually in general, Joey. Great for kids. Yeah, school holidays. Get them out on the the whiting and squid. There's lots of fish. Keep them entertained for a long time. That would be my bet if you're taking your kids holidays. Um, Fishing. That's right. Now, marlin up on the south coast, still going pretty good as we um, move into winter. The, the marlin train hasn't quite left yet, are you telling me, Dave? It's. I think it's left for you. Um, <laughs> I can't see you getting up there, no. <laughs> no, uh, Rodney Gillam was up there over the Easter break and got quite a good number of fish, or actually after the Easter break when the weather settled down, I think. So um, still some really good fishing up there. To be had if you haven't had your marlin fixed for the year yet, Joey. Swordfish. Yes, well, if um, if I'm not going to catch that marlin train, I'm best be taking an express ticket on the Gladiator Swordfish. That's right. Now, a uh, good friend of the show, avid listener, Joel Ryan, went out off Lakes Entrance yesterday with Ben Donegan and Andrew Donegan. Holy crackamole. Trip for the year. He's nailed this beautiful swordfish of around 130 kilo. And uh, I reckon, Joey, that's probably a catch of the week. Oh, he's he's called it. King Kong, Donkey Kong, mate. Look at this. (laughs) (laughs) And that's Suraj with the King Kong, Donkey Kong catch of the week. Uh, We actually do have the pre order of King Kong, Donkey Kong hoodies. Uh, that is is live, Dave. Where can people get that if they want a King Kong Donkey Kong hoodie? That's right. We're going to do a pre-order again, as we've done in the past. So if you want to get your hands on a King Kong Donkey Kong hoodie, we'll get some mock-ups made. So we're going to sell them in uh, burgundy, army green, grey and black. I think that's all of them, Joe. Yeah. Uh, we're going to do shirts and hoodies again. So if you send us a message on the socials letting us know your size and colour preference, we'll put you on the list and then when we come time to... Make that order. We will organise that for everyone. They can be rocking the King Kong Donkey yeah. Kong. Joel definitely needs a King Kong Donkey Kong. I can see that looking very good on him posing with his uh, swordfish. Yeah, that's not Joel in the photo. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> that's all right. You weren't to know, Joel. I, oh. I set you up, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. You set me up. Uh, that was that was uh, on Joel's boat. Sorry, I should have specified. But he's only just beat me in the King Kong Donkey Kong Catch of the Week because he's beat me by a sword nose, Joey. Yeah, he does. Oh. The world's biggest trout might have given him a run for his... I didn't want to appear biased. So I want to award myself the coveted... I, yeah, award. I love that trout. We, we, uh, it really happened within five minutes of, of the sunset sequence, just casting um, that, that Daiwa double-clutch bibbed minnow at those shallow weed line. That, just, that was just fantastic. Loved it. It was very enjoyable. I think that's about all we've got for the show tonight. Joey, it's been awesome to see everyone on the live feed. Can't thank you all enough for participating. And like I said, we tried to get through everyone's questions. Apologies if we didn't, but we will 
try to get onto them again in the future. Thanks again for spending your evening with us and we can't wait to see you next week. Yeah, we'll catch you next week, fishing friends. Make sure you get a hook on the Anzac Day uh, holiday and have an awesome weekend. We'll catch you next time. Beautiful, Joey. Oh, I've forgotten to put the end screen on. How unprofessional of me. I'll just get that up for you now, everyone. That's (laughs) all right. Here we go. Here we go. See you next week. in a Cat5 additive, Dave? I reckon we'll find out, Joey. Maybe we'll buy one and dissect it.